The question is, how do we respond in trials? How do we respond in difficult times? What should be our response during these, these seasons of our lives? You know, here we find, as we're well documented, we understand what's happening. You know, our nation, our world finds itself in the midst of a pretty threatening situation. You know, what are we to do in the midst of this coronavirus? It's rapidly spreading. And... Um, and the fatality rate, we see it on computers climbing every day. The number of people that have it, the people, the fatalities are spreading. In the U.S., we're just finding all kind of sweeping measures that are closing down. States are quarantined and shuttering and schools are closing and people are told to stay home and less traffic I see falling on, on Coosar Road. You know, educators, schools are closed. Educators and parents trying to figure, how do we wrap up the school year? How do we, you know, meet our requirements? How do we make up lost time? Sports events. Hockey, will it ever come back? Um, this year, NBA, I'm kind of concerned that base, I mean, that football may not happen. Um, you know, in the, in the fall, you know, people more seriously, they've lost their jobs. Um, lost maybe a second job, as John was sharing, um, people that have reduced hours that are cut back, and they're looking at how do we, make, how do we pay bills, um, economy teetering on the edge of recession, down nosediving. During these difficult times, what can, can calm our fears? What can calm our worries? What can calm our anxieties? You know, it's, it's not going to be some group of people that get together in a national organization. It's not going to be our national leader, our president, giving words of comfort, trying to encourage us. It's not going to be um, Dr. Fauci standing up and talking about how, you know, this can be controlled and how we're looking to flattening rate. It won't be checks cut by the government. Um, all of these things may, may be helpful. But let me, let me state this clearly, and if I had put it on the screen, I should have put this sentence. What will help the child of God will be a clear, all-embracing understanding and belief functionally that God is in absolute control. Let me say that again. What can help us during this time is an all-embracing understanding that we really get it, but it just doesn't become head knowledge, but that we believe it practically, functionally in our lives, that God truly is in absolute control, that God is on the throne, that he's sovereign, that he's the supreme ruler, that nothing will happen to me that is outside of his will, that what God allows to happen in my life, that God is good, that God is holy, that God is all-powerful, and it's part of his plan, that he will not allow anything into my life that is not good for his glory. So that's really our, our framework as we look into Second Chronicles chapter 16. So if I were to put it out as a big idea, it would be trust in God, parenthesis, always when the storms of life hit. May we trust God. May, our, may we rely upon him. May we lean upon him. So let me just give, if I may, expand just for one minute on the theological statement of the sovereignty of God. Maybe we'll have questions that we can answer and Pastor and I can address it a little bit a little bit deeper. But let me first again say, God is infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable in all of his perfections. Um, that he is sovereign. He reigns in infinite goodness, in infinite holiness and power. And that result is that he is in absolute control. The 9-11s, the coronaviruses in our world doesn't mean that God is not in control. Everything happens under his um, absolute influence and authority that God allows and wills all of this to happen. 
King of kings and Lord of lords, he is still on the throne. And we really talk about the sovereignty of God and we land as we look at Christ. It's, a, it's an outstanding conclusion that all that God is doing, that it comes together in Christ, that his awesome sovereign providence is in place. And in Christ we feel most reverent, in Christ we feel most safe, and in Christ we feel most secure. So let's look in 2 Chronicles 16, 7 to 12, and let's give it an example of, of God's absolute sovereignty by looking at the life of Asa. Now, we need to really start back just two chapters briefly in chapter 14 as we get the background to Asa. Asa comes to the throne at around 908 B.C. Um, he had made some early reforms, and as he steps to the throne, he, he steps in and he immediately starts to clean up the paganness that was preceded him, the idolatry all around him. So he starts to take away some of the altars of the foreign gods. He's breaking down some of the high places. He's destroying the image and the idolatry, and he wants to seek the Lord. In fact, it says in verses 3 and 4, talk about that he just has one desire, that he wants to seek God. He says he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, in verse 4, and to keep the law of his commandments. So he's trying to bring the nation to seek God and to seek him only. He's bent on pursuing and following God. Well, a couple of verses down, we see now on the horizon, and he's in his 10th year as king, that there comes a, a, a very credible threat on the horizon. It's the king from Ethiopia comes with a force of one million soldiers. And he, if you add up the numbers, has about 580 soldiers. 580, one million. Not real good odds. One to two, roughly. So what should he do? He does what any godly, righteous individual should do. He looks vertically. He's not stuck on the horizontal. He doesn't get fearful. He doesn't scream in fear. Look in verse 11. He cries out. He said, cry to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely. Key word there that we'll see in our text in 16. For we rely on you. So he cries out to the Lord. So the cause, he says, God, you're in control. God, you're superior. You're supreme. And the result of that dependence, the result of that cry, is that God gives him a stunning, brilliant victory. And we see that in verses 12 and 13. Then chapter 15 just shows that Asa continues this pattern of seeking the Lord and following the Lord. And he's pursuing God and he's following him. And we see that he's making great, great sweeping reforms through all of the country. And he leads the nation, and we see in verse 12, he leads the nation in this passionate covenant. Verse 12, chapter 15, And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart, with all of their soul. So he brings the nation together. We're going to seek God. We're going to follow God with all of our heart, with all of our soul. They make this covenant. They make this commitment to him. But as time goes on, in fact, we step into chapter 16, and we'll get into the 36th year of his reign. So we find in chapter 14, the 10th year, the Ethiopians come. So 26 years later, now there's another threat on the horizon, another threat that's coming. And we're going to see that Asa didn't pass the test this time, that Asa looked horizontally, not vertically, and he panicked as what he saw out there, and he didn't trust in God. He relied on the arm of the flesh. How are we responding in this present crisis? 
as we start to see challenges around us, as we start to see maybe lost income, maybe reduced hours, health threat, frightfulness, being scared of what's out there, maybe scared for, for yourself, scared for loved ones that live with you. Uh, you, as you start to maybe look too much horizontally, what are we doing? Are we more anxious to listen to Dr. Fossey or to listen to President Trump or read the Mercer County updates than we are to run to God and get on our knees and say, God, just, just keep me focused on you. I'm not saying that we don't do all of those things that we need to be alert, but may not outweigh us. May we run to God more often than we will run to, to what man is saying. You know, as we look horizontally, Things seem to be out of control sometimes, not just because of the coronavirus, just the world in which we live in is a mess, but to realize that God is in control. And I love, just as a P.S., the whole story of the Bible. You look at the story of hope in Genesis 3.15, man falls, there's chaos, there's confusion, destruction, decay starting to sweep into the Garden of Eden, and he gives that beautiful prophetic promise that I will send one from the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. And the whole Bible is all about that promise being fulfilled. So in the midst of chaos and confusion and a nightmare situation, God is still carrying forth his plan because God is sovereign. Well, we step into chapter 16. Let me just, again, a little bit of verses 1 to 6 background as we step into verse 7. It's the 36th year of his reign. So things are starting to go a little bit bad. He had a great past result when Zerah, the Ethiopian, came up. He expressed great faith in God as he looked vertically. But here we see a whole different response. Basha, king of Israel, is starting to build up the city of, of Ramah and apparently is threatening Judah. And his reason is that he doesn't want people to go from Israel into Judah. And so that close to Judah's border King Asa is threatened by it and feels that he has some ulterior motives, and so he's scared of it. Let me say, or ask, how will he respond? Well, we, we read the text of how he's going to respond, but this is, this is an important reminder. Because he was successful in the past in trusting God, doesn't mean now, 26 years later, that he's going to trust God now, right? And that's really true in our own lives. We can look at periods in the past where we just felt strong spiritually for God. I mean, we were clicking in our devotions and our walk with God and our passionate cry. And God was using us and we were, we were doing great. But, but maybe a coldness has blown into the, the shores of our life. And we're not walking with God where we should. Well, how will we, con- how will we respond when a trial comes? How will we respond when this present difficulty, if in the past we trusted God, doesn't mean we're going to trust him to get in today. But we need to, we need to make sure that we're, we're working on our daily walk, that we're working on our, on our daily communication with God, that we're growing in him so we stay strong, so when a challenge comes, such as we find ourselves in, that we really won't miss a beat, that we'll simply cry right up to vertically because that has become the practice of our life, not just for this certain season. Well, verse 2, here's Asa. He's in this threatening crisis, this life-threatening situation, so he thinks. So he doesn't look vertically. He looks horizontally. What does he do? Does he pray? Does he call the prophets together and have a prayer huddle and say, okay, John, come, let's get together. Let's, let's have a time of prayer. We're having a, a, an urge. Does he go to the word of God? Does he say, what does God's word say? He doesn't do any of that. But we might find relief that he's running to the temple of God. 
But wait a minute. He's not running the temple of God for good reason. In fact, it says in verse 2, he went and he took silver and gold from the treasure of the house of the Lord. So here he runs to God's house to strip the gold and to strip the silver off of there so that he might take it and give it to the Syrian king to bribe him to come on his side and to help him out against the king of Israel, against Basha. And so understanding that Basha king of of Israel was in alliance with the Syrian king. And so he takes this money and even takes treasure from his own house and he gives it, he offers it to the Syrian king and he's asking him to break his alliance with with Basha of of Israel. So here is this man totally responding in this move to the arm of the flesh, trusting in, in man versus the God that had defeated a far superior enemy some 26 years earlier. Here are these chumps from Israel, if I may say. They don't have the force that Ethiopia did, and yet he looks and he gets panicked, and he cries out to Syria for help. Let me just make a couple of notes in passing. What was wrong with an alliance with Syria? Um, what happened? I say in one foolish move, in one sad move, Asa compromised his own beliefs and lost God's blessings. And here's some problems with it. He used the treasuries to buy off Ben-Hadad. These are the same treasures that he committed to God in Second Chronicles 15, verse 18. If you look that up later, he gave these treasures as a covenant to Yahweh and as a promise to, God, to Yahweh as part of a covenant that they would have together. So they're God's property. So he's stealing from God what belonged to God. And then secondly, we're seeing that he's trusting in this Syrian. This would begin Syrian intervention into Israel and Judah that would be a thorn in the side. They would be people that would continually run raids and and, um, attacks against Israel and against Judah. He's a man that's trusting in the wrong person or the wrong source. And thirdly, the problem that we have with it is that he has a bad memory. Asa's not remembering the past, that he's reaching out horizontally and he's forgetting the vertically. He's forgetting what God has done in his life. He's forgetting the past of God's incredible blessing in his life and how he cared for him, how when he cried out against a superior, superior foe, the Ethiopians, that God destroyed that army and saved Judah. You know, he had Psalm 140. 143 verses 5 and 6 in his, in, his, in his scrolls, he had access to it, or he should have. Did he just not hear it? Did he not have it read to him? Here's what David had written a couple hundred years earlier. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Asa would have done well. If he had applied that psalm, if Asa would have remembered all of God's blessings and would have huddled his little family around and had their family devotions. And let's talk about God's blessings, what he's done in the past. Hey, remember when you guys were just small 26 years ago, what God did in saving us from from the um, Ethiopians? But he forgot what God did. He forgot God's goodness in his life in the midst of his present crisis he forgets God's goodness and looked horizontally. Here's a family assignment. If you parents would make note of this, or even couples as you get home and um, as you're together, if the kids are out of the nest, 
list the activities of, of God's goodness in your life. What has God done? Just get together with your wife, with your husband, with the family, and just have a family devotion. Maybe take it off this week. Let's just remember God's goodness in our lives. How has God provided? How has God cared for us? You know, how has God given? You know, we have a shadow box that is no longer hanging, but it did for years in our house, and it just major things of, of God's blessings in our lives, it just as a reminder to the girls. And we would have that once in a while as a family devotions and event. Let's just talk about God's blessings in our lives, and they would get to be dozens and dozens and dozens of God's goodness. It's good for us to be reminded of that. Well, Asa forgot. Well, stepping into our, our passage, um, I hope you are got a comfortable seat, got some water to drink. We'll be here about another hour. Um, just kidding. Verse 7, at that time, Hanani the Syria came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. So here is Asa comes, is, is confronted by the prophet, and he says to him, because you relied on king of Syria. This phrase, because, we're going to chase it down a little bit more in a couple minutes, But the phrase, because you relied, is used twice in verses 7 and 8. Because you relied. The first time it's used here in this verse is talking of his his horizontal alliance or reliance. That because you relied on the king of Syria. So as a cause and effect, you relied on the king of Syria, you got one result. And then I'll talk about it in verse 8. Because you relied on God, that cause, the effect, he had a different Different result, which we'll look at in a few few moments. But look at the word rely. Verse 7, it talks about twice. And in verse 8, it's mentioned once. And then when it says in verse 9 that God's eyes are running to and fro, it's the whole idea is reliance and trust. Who are you trusting in this passage that's, that's really emphatic? That's a theme. And he's driving this point home to, to um, Asa that you trusted. It means to lean to support, to depend. You trusted in the king of Syria. It's like you're leaning on him. You're putting all of your weight, and he's the one that's keeping you from falling. You're depending on him. But it's a problem, Asa, because you should have depended on God. He did earlier in life, chapter 14, verse 11, that I read earlier, that same Hebrew word is used there, that he relied on God, and he was victorious. So in a previous day, He did rely vertically, not horizontally, and God gave him an incredible victory. Notice the cause and effect in verse 7. Because you relied on the king and did not realize, as the army of the king of Syria escaped you. It's like it's implied if Asa had depended on God, God would have given him two victories. You would have defeated Israel, and also you would have defeated Syria. But now because you didn't, Syria escaped, and they are going to be a nightmare to you in the future because you did not have the proper trust. You did not have the proper dependence. Friends, weak faith results in weak living. Or maybe differently, weak faith results in wrong living or wrong actions. Because he had a weak faith, a wrong reliance, there would be disastrous results that happened in his life. Furthermore, when Asa reached out to Benadad, um, there was a lot going on there. 
He's reaching out to a pagan. You know, Ben-Adad, Ben's son, Hadad, um, is really a Semitic term, Western Semitic term, that's for the god of thunder and rain at that time, which was called Baal. So really, son of Baal. So here is Asa going to a son of Baal. I need your help. Well, by him going there, you know what he's really saying? If he's going to a pagan king who worships Baal, that follows Baal, what is he really saying? Your God is greater than my God. I need you to help me. I need your, your, your impact in my life because I'm in trouble without you and your God. Please come and help me. I mean, that's a wicked thing to say when we forget to look vertically, to trust God, and we panic, we worry, we get all, all caught up in, in the anxiousness of the moment as Asa did, and we cry out for help horizontally, totally forgetting to go to God vertically, totally forgetting to cry out to him and look to him. You know, the Word of God is, is an awesome resource, and that's one of the purposes in our D group. We encourage our, our guys and, and the ladies that meet, get into the Word of God, and there's accountability that goes back and forth. What are we studying? Well, you know, when we look in the Scriptures and we gain encouragement, we gain comfort, we gain cha- we're challenged by men and women in this theme that stood for God. Uh, look throughout the Old Testament. We see Moses, and there's the army of Egypt bearing down on him, and there's a panic nation starting to get all anxious. And he says, stand and see the salvation of God, and he puts a staff out, and the Red, Red Sea opens up. Or we see another example, Gideon, 135,000 Midianites, and they have 300, but he stands firm, and he says, arise, for the Lord has delivered into our hand the host of Midian. Or we see... Elijah boldly standing. Okay, he would have a weak moment a few hours or hour later. But here he is standing before 450 prophets of Baal. And the whole nation of Israel that's all turned pagan. But firmly standing and crying out and say, let this be known that you are God in Israel. Or we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And on the story goes, men and women that stood for God. Strong faith results in strong living. Or right faith results in right living. Right decisions or right trust results in awesome results for God's glory. When the storm of adversity blew on, onto Isa, he cho- A- I'm sorry, Asa, he chose to worry. He chose to panic. He chose to lean upon the arm of the flesh rather than trusting in God. What do we call that kind of a individual? Is he a theist? Is he a person that believes in God? Would we, would we say that he is the one that's trusting God? With raised hands. Oh, okay, I can't see it. But what would you say that he is an atheist or a theist? I mean, really, he's a practicing, practicing atheist. He is, he is, by the way he's living, he has forgotten God. By the way he is functioning, he has forgotten that God is in control. He is a functioning, practicing, practicing atheist. He is not running to God, he's running to man. And my fear in my life and and in your life is that we make decisions too often that we forget to go to God. What is God's will in this matter? What, what, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to respond right now? How does God want me to, to live with, with all that I have? And I see people around me that have need. How does God want me to use my time? God, how do you want me to use this, this period to reach and minister and to further and expand your name? Verse 8. 
We see where he trusted in the arm of the flesh. Now he gives him a reminder of which we read that account a few moments ago in verse 8. And the prophet says, Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. He said, you trusted in the Lord. You relied on the Lord. And because of that, God gave you the victory. You depended on him. Why didn't you do the same thing again? Cause and effect. You trusted the Lord. You were victorious. You know, the same could have happened 26 years later. But Acer forgot. Something happened in those times. Maybe he wasn't working on his walk and his trust with the Lord. That past victory did not mean it was going to be present victory. It led to present defeat because he had a wrong, wrong trust. He had a wrong vision. He looked horizontally instead of vertically. You see, when we face challenges, aren't there always two options? Whenever there is a challenge in our lives, there are always two options in our lives. When we have a situation like this, we could trust, first of all, in the arm of the flesh. And that's really what's being indicated in the first because, because you rely on the king of Syria. We could choose to look horizontally. We could choose to have blinders on that we're never to look, look above, that we just look horizontally. When a situation may come, if I trust in the arm of the flesh, if I call my friends up and say, hey, John, what do you think should, should happen here? Or if, I, or if I'm nervous and I'm pacing around the floor and, and, and I'm uptight and I, I can't sleep because of some crisis that's happening in my life and I'm just, just fraught with, with, with worry, I'm looking at the arm of the flesh. I'm forgetting the trust in God. I'm worrying. I'm scheming. I'm, I'm really living fleshly. But verse 8, the other option that we have, not only trusting the arm of the flesh, we could trust in the arm of God. When we look vertically, when we finally get it that God is in control, I don't need to worry about the tomorrows. Kind of what we saw this morning in Matthew 6. I don't need to panic in what's happening. God, I just need to look to you. God, remind, remind me that you are still on the throne. That God, like Isaiah, got that in a time of anxiety in his life when he realized that King Uzziah died and things are going to be challenging, that, God, you're still on the throne. Help me to see that. Help me to remember that. Let's look in verses 9 to 12 quickly in closing. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. That's why I titled my message, which I failed to tell you, Passing the Test. Passing the test, because really this is a test that God is, has brought into his life because it says God's eyes run to and fro. God's eyes are looking. God's eyes are continually upon man, upon his children. God in his divine omniscience, yes, his loving providential care and his absolute control sovereignly, he knows what's happening in our hearts. And he's looking to see who will step forward, who will be the Gideons, who will be the Moseses, who will be the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Daniels, who will be the Elijahs that will stand forward and say, God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this crisis because I know that I've been showered upon with your numerous blessings of Jesus Christ as my Savior, that I'm in your hands and you're in absolute control. See, God wants to give his support to us during this time. God wants to show himself strong. And probably some of our questions will get to it, but there's a human responsibility side of it. It's not just going to be zap, boom, I'm suddenly strong. I have the responsibility to be depending upon God, to be leaning upon him, to trust him when I'm driving in the fog 
in the mist and I don't see the road and I'm not sure which angle to turn, but to take it slowly, keep looking for God's leading, that white line that shows me which way to go. So what is necessary for me to, to please God? What is necessary for me to pass the test as God looks to and fro? And he hits it, and I get, think it's another way of talking about the word rely. For God looks to see whose heart is blameless towards him. He's looking to see whose heart is untouched, whose heart is complete, whose heart is perfect, whose heart is undivided. Or put differently, who's relying on him? Three times used in verses 7 and 8. He wants to see if we are depending upon him, if we will walk by faith and not by sight, trusting him in every situation in our lives. God, may my heart be wholeheartedly committed, complete towards you. Verses 9 to 12, Asa's last five years are not very pretty. Um, In fact, he's talked about as being pretty foolish because he chose man over God. And even to the point where he got ugly with the prophet, threw the prophet into prison, inflicted the people. And even at the last two years of his life, God brought a disease upon his feet. And still then, it clearly says that he did not turn to the Lord. Still, even then, his horizontal, in the midst of all of his pain. So God is stressing, may we not be a practicing, functioning atheist. May we trust God. May we lean upon his sovereign control. So in closing, how does God's sovereignty impact my life? How does God's sovereignty, this truth, how does it change my life today here in, at the end of March 20, 22nd, 2020? Number one, God's sovereignty calls for us to trust him. God, you're, you're in absolute control. I, I don't know what's going to happen in the tomorrows of my life or our lives But this much I know that you are still on the throne. May I trust you. May I realize that you're present, that you're holy, that you're righteous, that you're good, that you work everything out for good. May we not believe God theoretically. May we believe God practically. May we not believe God just in word. May we believe God in action. May we not be a practicing atheist, but actually one that practices our, our theology. Secondly, God's sovereignty demands that I live missionally. What do I mean by that? Okay, if God is in absolute control, then what is my response going to be? And maybe we'll get into that one of the questions like evangelism. What should be my response? Should I just sit on the sidelines? Oh, God's going to save the people. No, he gives commands that I must obey. He gives commands in my human responsibility and how I'm to live out. That God, I I need to live in a way that you're the ruler, that, that that, that is evident through my life, that I'm on mission. And the mission has so much one another's and care and for the community in the church and the community of, of individuals unsaved outside the church. A story that I heard this past week is one of the ways that we can live on mission. And I'm not trying to make light of, of, of this is toilet paper. How can toilet paper help us to be on mission? I heard a really neat, neat story when I called one of the seniors and, and um, just checking in on them. And, and she spoke of how a lady in our church drove, I think she's about 20 minutes away, 
drove down because I heard that she didn't have any toilet paper and just to minister and care for her and meet her in her hour of need. See, that's missional living. living. God is sovereign. God is in control. I have a responsibility to my brothers and sisters. I mean, I love Ted Robinson picked me up some at Walmart. George called and said he found some, but we were pretty good at that, that point. But how can we care for other people? How can, how can we meet their needs? And then thirdly, that God's sovereignty is, is of great comfort. Isn't it? To know that, that God, is, God is in control, that I don't know what's happening, but I, I, I gain comfort. I could calm my heart. And, and I shared with Pastor and some others, there was a time in my life where, where I, I, I got that, and it was Isaiah 6 that turned it on for me, a, a period of great stress and anxiousness. And I was, honestly, I, I was trusting in maybe the arm of the flesh too much, and I'm st- pacing the house, what's going to happen. And reading Isaiah 6, finally got it. I no longer had sleepless nights. It was 180 for us. Um, just learned to trust God. God, you're in control. No matter what happens, like Habakkuk, God, um, I see who you are. If you take everything, that's okay. We're going to serve you and be faithful to you. So God, may, uh, God bless you. Don't forget the assignment. Um, focus on, focus on the, um, the, uh, the, 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 I'm sorry, the um, homework that I gave you. Remember the blessings of God in your life.